The Interchange is brought to you by Prisma Energy Solutions. Prisma Energy Solutions provides a unique financing model for CNI and utility-scale battery storage systems. Prisma's customized lease options help you reduce energy demand, participate in both energy and ancillary service markets, improve renewables integration, increase system reliability, and reduce your carbon footprint. There's no designer technology risk, no maintenance hassle, and the upfront capital expense is greatly reduced, especially compared to system purchases. So find out more at Prisma Energy energy.com. The interchange is also brought to you by Vertzilla Energy. Vertzilla is a global leader in flexible power plants, energy storage, and complete life cycle power solutions. Vertzilla is leading the energy transition with the Atlas of 100% Renewable Energy. It's this open access tool based on the modeling of 145 countries and regions worldwide to illustrate the cost-optimal 100% renewable energy system. Find out more at vertzilla.com atlas. That's W-A-R-T. S-I-L-A, vertsilla.com slash atlas. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. I'm Stephen Lacey, a contributing editor at GTM. Welcome to the show. This week, a boisterous CEO who brags of out-eloning Elon Musk a reverse merger that makes an unknown fuel cell trucking company as valuable as Ford, and all based on zero revenue and a list of customers who don't have to pay any money down to reserve a truck. What to make of Nikola Motor? Shail Khan has been spending the last couple of days trying to make sense of it. He's my co-host. He's managing director of the VC firm Energy Impact Partners. Shail, you've uh, gone down the rabbit hole, huh? And what a rabbit hole it is. This company is fascinating. Well. Worth an entire episode. Very rarely do we devote entire episodes to single companies. So here we go. Let's do a quick recap. Nikola Motor went public last week through a reverse merger, which we'll talk about. It achieved a $13 billion valuation. That valuation is now up to $27 billion as we record on Wednesday afternoon. But with a non-traditional IPO, an enigmatic CEO, and zero revenue to show for itself, it's become one of the more befuddling stories in clean tech in recent memory. So let us dig in. Uh, Shale, what caught your eye about Nikola Motor, and why did you want to cover it in this episode? Well, we've been paying attention to Nikola Motor for a while as they've continued to raise. I mean, even prior to going public, they raised something like $500 million in private markets. So they've been raising a lot of money. You know, the CEO has been very public. We'll talk a bit more about him. And they're taking on a really ambitious vision. So they've been interesting for a while. But the thing that made it worth dedicating this entire episode to the company is what happened last week, which is uh, they have an extraordinarily successful reverse merger into the public markets that then causes the stock price to basically double afterwards and gives them this incredibly high market cap, at least at the moment. And so, you know, if it holds, this is going to be the greatest clean tech success story since Tesla. Like, there's no question about that. If this price holds up, then Nikola Motor will be in the pantheon of, you know, clean energy companies, clean transportation companies that we talk about. So we, I think it have to ask the question, like, does this make any sense, basically? Right. And, and based on what? I mean, this is a company that doesn't have anything out in the market yet. So we'll get to the products that it is supposedly going to be releasing, how it plans to phase those up and whether it can get them out in the way that it, it says it will. First of all, I think we should say, 
that neither of us is holding any stock related to these companies. We don't hold stock uh, in Nikola Motor. We don't hold stock in Tesla or any other related companies. At least I don't. You don't either, right? I do not. That's correct. And nor do I have any material non-public information about the company. Yes. So neither of us have any skin in the game here. We are merely uh, interested fact gatherers trying to figure out this company and what it's all about. So what is this company all about? Uh, let's let's just give some facts about what Nikola Motor does. And by the way, why isn't Nikola Motors? That's just so annoying. It, that drives me crazy. I'm gonna, <laughs> I guarantee you at some point in this conversation, I'm going to say Motors and get it wrong. Um, okay. <laughs> where, to, where to start? So the, the primary thing, what Nikola is known for best, and certainly the bulk of what it has been selling Wall Street as they were going around and, and doing their virtual roadshow ahead of going public, um, is this fuel cell electric truck, semi-truck, right? So this is like a class eight vehicle, um, you know, heaviest duty vehicle basically that we have. And what they're attempting to do is manufacture, so they're going to be an OEM manufacturing these fuel cell trucks. They're supposed to first hit the market in 2023. So as you've alluded to, their their core product, this primary product, not in the market, not nearly in the market. They actually don't even have a factory uh, under construction yet. So the hope is that they will begin construction on the factory that will then eventually construct these trucks sometime later this year. Product is supposed to come to market in 2023. In the meantime, they have since, so this they announced, this is the first big product they announced. This is back in like 2016. Um, since then, they have announced that they're also intending to build a whole variety of other products. But the other big one that's related is a battery electric semi-truck. Uh, which they intend to bring to market in 2021. So that'll be the earliest, if they're successful in bringing this to market, then that would be the earliest they would actually have a product in the market. So zero revenue to date, effectively, and not really scaling revenue until 2023 when that fuel cell-based truck is supposed to hit the market. That's fact number one. Okay, so they're tackling heavy-duty trucking. Why fuel cells and for what range? Right. So the argument that they're making, and, and this is, I think, you know, reasonably commonly understood at this point, is that while we are electrifying most transportation, or the intent is to electrify most transportation via pure battery electric vehicles, um, it, it is kind of tough to use a battery electric vehicle for semi-trucks, uh, especially for long range, because you need a gigantic battery basically. Um, and that can be very expensive. And so Nikola claims that their hydrogen trucks will have like a 500 to 750 mile range, whereas a battery electric truck might be like one to 300 mile range. There are also some other potential benefits. For example, you know, the charging time can be a big issue for the battery electric truck where hydrogen is, you know, you fuel it just like you fuel a gasoline or diesel vehicle. So there, there are a number of reasons why it actually might make sense in general to use hydrogen fuel cells for these really heavy duty vehicles, um, even if it doesn't for like our individual passenger vehicles. Now, I'm looking on their website here and I see an, so many different products that they're supposedly going to be selling. But let's talk about the semis first. I see three different models here, um, all of, you know, very slick pictures of trucks that don't exist yet. Um, 
they're taking pre-orders for these trucks right now, and they claim to have $10 billion in pre-orders. And if you dig a little bit deeper into these numbers, it's it's a bit sketchy. So what's up with these pre-orders? What are they claiming and what is actually behind the numbers? Yeah, so I think a lot of what they've sold investors on is the fact that they've received this you know, seemingly endless amount of interest in their trucks so that when they produce them, they will have tons of demand for them. And specifically, the number that they throw out there a lot is that they have $10 billion in what they call reservations for the fuel cell vehicles alone, for setting aside the other products that they're intending to bring to market. Now, if you dig into that, um, the reality is that the vast, vast majority of those reservations, as far as I can tell, all but about $100 million of it, $100 million of the $10 billion, those are non-binding reservations which for which they, they no longer accept any down payment. They, in fact, returned all the down payments that they originally got when they first started taking these reservations. So not going to be difficult for customers to back out if for any reason the vehicles don't meet their standards or they no longer need them or whatever. So this is, you know, these are not prior, it's not dissimilar from what Tesla does. I'm sure we'll make this comparison a lot. Tesla takes reservations for a vehicle well before they have the vehicle in production. The distinction being Tesla does usually require a deposit. So there's no deposit in this case. Um, And, you know, Tesla does have other vehicles. So it's been proven to produce something. Nikola has produced no commercial vehicles yet. This is a fact worth staying on for just a moment. So Nikola says it has somewhere around 14,000 semi-trucks under reservation right now worth $10 billion. And you know the, the, the financial press keeps parroting this number and hyping the company up. And really, I've seen very few people dig into this number. Or if they talk about the fact that these are just expressions of interest, uh, that they are cancelable, that there's no deposit money. They just kind of breeze by it. And it's actually like really important uh, because even Elon Musk, who gets a lot of flack for touting these reservation numbers, he's at least taking money and an intention to reserve. You can go on their website and basically say like, I want four or five trucks, just put me on the list. Um, I, I watched this great video from Hypercharge on YouTube. And there's this interview with Matt Joyce, who is actually um, a Tesla shareholder. But he was going through the reservation phase and he just like brought up his phone and showed, hey, I just made a bunch of reservations for semi trucks here. Um, So this is really important. And I think this is a number that a lot of investors are focused on and part of the reason why their valuation keeps getting trumped up. Right. Now, if you dig into the investor materials from Nikola, they do provide some more information on who those potential customers are who've made those reservations. And if you believe what they're saying, which we have no reason not to, then they're mostly not you know, guys like you and I and some Tesla shareholder who are pretending to own a bunch of trucks. It's actual companies that actually have fleets of trucks, right? Including Anheuser-Busch. So Anheuser-Busch appears to be the, the, the most serious one. That, as far as we know, that one actually is binding. We don't know the details of that arrangement, but they, it's for up to 800 trucks, which would be the, the $100 million. That one seems real. Anheuser-Busch has certainly touted it themselves. So, And the first networks that Nikola is looking to build, we'll come back to what this actually means, are on behalf of Anheuser-Busch's territory. So that one does seem real. And there may be some others behind that that are totally real too. But there's, you know, inherently, there is risk behind these non-binding reservations just 
for no other reason than because it's going to be three years at a minimum before these trucks come to market. And so anything could happen in the meantime. So initially, the first semi was supposed to come out in 2021. Now it's 2023. And in the meantime, uh, the CEO, Trevor Milton, is saying, hey, look, we've got an electric truck now that we're going to start selling to folks. And I'm looking on the website here. I, I see images of like electric dune buggies, you know, military grade electric dune buggies. They've got all these, you know, fancy images here that are supposed to get me excited. Like, first of all, what is this company doing? In the meantime, before this semi comes out, it seems to have a lot of um, unreleased but very hyped uh, battery vehicles as well. Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned that the marquee product is this fuel cell semi truck, but they have not wasted any time in announcing plans for a whole variety of other vehicles. You know, they just started taking reservations for their pickup truck, which they call the Badger. Uh, this week, it's a, I think it's a hybrid fuel cell electric, battery electric truck. Um, also has not yet been produced or come to market. And then, right, the even crazier stuff is like the motorsports products that they intend to bring to market. Like you said, this like electric dune buggy, they have an electric jet ski on there. So, you know, the plan is to manufacture uh, what appears to be a pretty wide array of different vehicles, some of which are fuel cells, some of which are electric, some of which are hybrid. Okay. So they have a very confusing array of products here. I don't know if they're a semi company, if they're an electric truck company, if they're an electric dune buggy company. Uh, we'll see what they release first. But they their 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 valuation skyrocketed recently when last week they went public through this SPAC. What is a SPAC? S P A C. What is a SPAC? What is this reverse merger? How does it work? And um, why did the company's stock just drive up so quickly? Yeah, so SPACs are pretty interesting, actually. It's it's somewhat of a new trend. It's like an alternative way to go public. There's been this move um, lately for companies to find new mechanisms to enter the public markets rather than the traditional historical IPO. So there are alternatives, like, for example, Slack went public through what's called a direct listing. It's another example of this this new trend. In this case, um, a SPAC is... is sort of a, it's in vogue right now. It stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Company. And basically what happens is somebody um, goes to the public markets and creates a public shell company and raises a bunch of money for that shell company. And the agreement with the, the shareholders, the investors in that shell company is that I, you know, the leader of this shell will spend sometime in the next, typically say it's a two-year period, I intend to make an acquisition of a company within a particular sector using the money that you've just invested in my shell company. When I make that acquisition, that company will get absorbed into my public shell company and become a public company. So that's what happened here. It's Some people call it a blank check company. Um, so the financial sponsors raised, I think, $700 million for this SPAC. Um, it was called Vecto IQ. And Vecto IQ acquired Nikola out of the private markets, put $700 million on its balance sheet. So Nikola actually did raise money in this process, which is typically why you do an IPO in the first place. And now instead of the Vecto IQ ticker symbol, now it's a Nikola ticker symbol. So that's how they went public. There are a bunch of things about that process that are different from a traditional IPO process, one of which is there's no quiet period anymore. So normally ahead of an IPO, like the CEO has to go quiet for a while and 
you know, Trevor Milton notably did not go quiet for any period. He, he is, he is, he's very much not a quiet CEO. Right. And the other thing, this isn't specific to a SPAC, but the other thing that's worth noting here about this stock and, and why there's like a, you know, small asterisk, I think you should attach to the market cap is that only 10% um, of the company was floated. In other words, relative to the total number of shares outstanding, a relatively small amount is actually being traded in the public markets right now. A lot of the rest of it is still locked up amongst the prior investors in the company, um, which makes it very volatile. It means it's not super liquid. And so we've already seen, this is part of why the the market cap has shot upward in the first week. We also already saw trading halted once because the because the price was so volatile. So I think the expectation is pretty strong. This is going to be a volatile stock. I'm not giving any stock market advice, but it's just likely to be volatile for a while. And will be interesting to see what happens when lockups end and the prior market investors can decide whether to hold or sell in the public markets, you could see some kind of a reckoning or just, you know, rationalization around the stock price because of that. So it sounds like a lot of the volatility is around the number of shares outstanding. How do we differentiate that from the hype from the CEO? I mean, I don't know specifically the hype from the CEO, right? But there are public market investors. We don't know. I don't know the degree to which they are institutional or individual investors, but there are public market investors who are buying this stock at its current valuation, which is, like you said, it's upwards of $25 billion at the moment. Um, so it's not that this is like totally phantom, like this is, it's trading, this is happening. I just think because there are relatively few shares being traded, the likelihood is it remains somewhat volatile for a while. And as of today, Trevor Milton tweeted, we are as valuable as Ford. We'll see how long that lasts uh, and whether that actually means anything. Right. Do they, do they, you know, does it collapse or do they end up uh, chasing GM? That would be the next big one. Okay, you have me intrigued. Coming up, we're going to hear more about Trevor Milton. We're going to talk about the business model and the competition and then give our final thoughts on what to make of this company. First, let's talk about our supporters of this show. We're brought to you by Prisma Energy Solutions. Prisma helps developers, municipalities, CNI customers all reduce energy demand charges, generate income, increase reliability, and meet their sustainability goals. Prisma has a five-year lease offering that reduces transaction costs for battery storage. And that allows customers to benefit from storage without being exposed to the financial or operational risks of ownership. Prisma has relationships with top-tier suppliers and integrators in the battery storage industry, and they'll customize lease options to fit customers' needs. At the end of the lease term, customers have the option to renew, return, or purchase the battery system, creating much more project value. Visit prismaenergy.com to learn more. We're also brought to you by Vertzilla Energy. With 72 gigawatts of power plant capacity in 180 countries around the world, Vertzilla offers flexible power plants, energy storage, and life cycle services that ensure increased efficiency and guaranteed performance. Vertzilla has taken a leading role in supporting the energy sector as it undergoes transformation toward greater flexibility, efficiency, and sustainability. Based on the modeling of 145 countries and regions around the world, Fritzilla's team was able to find the cost-optimal energy mix for a 100% renewable energy system in all regions. It's known as the Atlas of 100% Renewable Energy. The Atlas provides a picture of how systems using only renewably sourced energy can look 
and the different types of capacity required to manage that electricity system. We've also done a series with Vertzilla, a three-part podcast series that you can hear on this feed, all about what the future of the 100% renewable energy system looks like. So check out the Atlas, listen to those podcasts, and see your optimal path at vertzilla.com slash atlas. That's W-A-R-T-S-I-L-A dot com slash atlas. Okay, so we've been talking about Nikola for a while now, and I realize we haven't actually described their business model because to the extent that there is anything real behind all this hype, to me, one of the more interesting things about the company is what they're, the ambition of what they're attempting to pull off and how it meets the needs of the market. Right, so they're actually not a trucking company. They're a hydrogen infrastructure company from what I understand. Is that fair? I think they're both. So I think what Nikola realized, which I agree with, is, you know, if you're just going to become a company that sells trucks, hydrogen trucks, uh, you're going to run into a wall, even if you produce great hydrogen fuel cell trucks, because the charging infrastructure, or in this case, the fueling infrastructure, is not there for you, right? And so they recognize that this is going to be a problem, and they decided, well, let's just vertically integrate. This is Tesla's playbook as well, right? It's why Tesla has the supercharger network. Only it's a much bigger problem uh, when you're dealing with it for fueling for semi-trucks that need to deliver things. So what Nikola decided to do is they're going to vertically integrate all the way up to the actual hydrogen production. So specifically, they intend to set up fueling stations themselves, which they will own, perhaps finance off-balance sheet, but they will set up the fueling stations themselves. Those fueling stations will actually have electrolyzers so they will be plugged into the grid they will use an electrolyzer to and water to produce hydrogen on site that hydrogen will then be stored on site and then it will fuel the vehicles so they are producing hydrogen and then selling that hydrogen into these vehicles so first of all that's like a very deep vertical integration play you know arguably even a step above how far tesla has gone and they're also not selling the trucks they're selling leases right Exactly. So then the next thing is, right, the benefit, the theoretical benefit um, of having, a, whether it's a hydrogen fuel cell truck or a battery electric truck, is going to be not in the upfront cost, which will almost definitely be more expensive than a comparative diesel truck, but in the total cost of ownership, incorporating the cost of maintenance and the cost of fueling. So what Nikola is planning to do is instead of selling trucks, they're selling total cost of ownership leases. It's a seven-year, 700,000-mile lease, which includes in a single fixed price, the truck itself, the maintenance for that truck, and all the fuel that you need for that truck. So it theoretically should offer basically equivalent or slight savings to the customer who owns the fleet, um, and they don't have to worry about any of the fueling or the maintenance. This, of course, requires Nikola to figure out how to set up a network of fueling stations that can be operated profitably and serve all their customers' needs so that the customers know that they can rely upon these fueling stations when they're using the trucks. So Nikola wants to build 34 of these fueling stations by 2024 and then 700 within the decade. Now, Shale, I spent some time 
in Germany like a decade and a half ago traveling around uh, hearing about how hydrogen fueling stations were going to be hearing about how hydrogen was going to be the fuel of the future and how we were going to have hydrogen fueling stations everywhere. Japan was making massive investments in hydrogen fueling infrastructure and well, we haven't gotten anywhere. California attempted to do the same thing, but it's just really expensive and complicated to both create and store hydrogen. And uh, it's just been cost prohibitive. So immediately, like my BS radar comes up when I hear a company talking about building 700 hydrogen fueling stations in the next decade. I think it's fair for your BS radar to come up. I guess I'll I'll make the case on behalf of Nicola, since nobody else is here to do it. Um, the company estimates that about 25% of semi-trucks run dedicated routes. They're just going back and forth on the same route. And so the result of that is if you focus on those trucks, you know, you need way, way fewer of these fueling stations to serve that network of semi-trucks than you do for what you're talking about in Germany and Japan. Those are for passenger vehicles, and we need to be able to travel wherever we want. This is the fundamental problem with electric vehicle charging infrastructure is that it, it kind of needs to be ubiquitous by default. Not the case here doesn't make it an easy challenge, but it is a much easier challenge. Like if you can go from 34 to 700 and make, you know, sell your $10 billion of trucks that way, um, that's a much easier challenge than what you would need to do if you're trying to do it for individual passenger vehicles. Now, the counterpoint now to argue against Nikola here is when you dig into what it's going to take to build out this fueling infrastructure, it is no small task. So I'll, th I'll throw some numbers at you and you can react. So they estimate that a single fueling station is going to cost about $17 million in CapEx alone. It includes, like I said, on-site electrolysis, so like a 2.2 megawatt electrolyzer. So that alone, right, think about the impacts on the electricity grid if you're operating a 2.2 megawatt electrolyzer on-site. It also is going to use, they estimate, 8.5 million gallons of water a year. Not a small task either. You have to you know, get all that water and pay for it. Um, they run a bunch of economic estimates in the in the shareholder materials about what that's going to mean. They estimate, unsurprisingly, that it's going to be a pretty good investment, 21% on levered IRR on the stations themselves. But that is over the course of 21 years. So they assume it lasts for three full lease cycles. Any given truck lease is a seven-year lease. They assume 100% utilization, going to be in use all the time. So they basically have to run this complex optimization of like, we got to sign up all the right customers with the right routes so that we can guarantee before we ever set up the, the fueling infrastructure that that infrastructure is going to be used all the time. And they need pretty cheap electricity because the primary cost of electrolysis is the cost of the electricity it, it, that you use to run the electrolyzer. So they assume like three and a half cent per kilowatt hour electricity, you know, might be reasonable depending on where they are. Probably not going to get that in, in California immediately. Anyway, the point being like there's a lot of there's a lot that's going to have to get worked out sort of perfectly in order for this entire ecosystem that they are trying to build, ranging from the hydrogen production through the actual trucks themselves to work. Okay, so earlier this month, right after the company went public, uh, Nikola made a purchase order of $30 million for electrolyzers to start building out these fueling stations. To me, this is the piece that, is really critical for the business model. I mean, like we know how to build fuel cell trucks. The question is, 
can we get the infrastructure right? And it feels to me like they could probably build a flashy truck, but if they can't get the infrastructure right, then the business model just doesn't work. Yeah, I think it all has to work. They have to build a truck. They have to build a truck roughly for the cost they think they're going to build it for with the um, characteristics and the capabilities that that they claim. And that's no small task, right? Like standing up a new OEM has, has proven not to be easy time and time again. So they do have to do that. And they have to figure out this infrastructure and business model question and find the right customers who are willing to buy and have the right routes and so on. So they're definitely, I mean, it's a, this is a complex optimization. This is not an easy business to pull off. And that's part of what makes this sort of like reaction from the public markets somewhat surprising is like there is undeniably a ton of risk in this business. Now, I actually really do appreciate the ambition. I think that if you're going to go after, if you're going to be a startup trying to manufacture fuel cell trucks, like this fully vertically integrated model is probably the right way to do it. Like I think they actually they have to do that. And to their credit, I'll give them one other bit of credit. They've signed up some really strong partnerships to for various components of this. So on the electrolysis side, like you said, they made this big purchase order, but they've had a partnership with Nell, which is a French company, the largest manufacturer of electrolyzers in the world. They've had that partnership for a few years. On the truck side itself, they have a big partnership with Iveco, which is um, a large manufacturer of trucks and legitimately knows how to how to make a truck, um, as well as a partnership with Bosch on some components. And then on the sales and service side downstream, because they're going to have to figure this out with their fueling stations, they have a big partnership with Ryder. So to their credit, they're not trying to go this alone. And, you know, that will presumably help them achieve what they're trying to achieve. But, you know, I mean, the, the risk is real. Ambition or hype or huckst or even hucksterism. I mean, this is some P.T. Barnum stuff. This guy, Trevor Milton, is getting up talking about how much he idolizes Elon Musk. Clearly, he is borrowing from the Musk playbook and using hype to drive the business model, um, to juice investor interest, to tell a story, and then hope that the business model comes in later. I mean, look, they have a lot of great press releases. They've made some purchase orders. They've developed partnerships. But like, we're not anywhere near to what they say they're going to do. And they're letting the story... Uh, drive the business model. And I, I just, I've, I've seen this story so many times before. I have seen this story play out time and time again, and it almost always doesn't end well. Now, Elon Musk is a different story, but remember, Elon Musk was building cars 18 months before Tesla went public. And certainly, Musk is the modern P.T. Barnum makes claims about products that are coming, some of which haven't arrived, some of which arrive late, but he has executed on a lot of what he's talked about. And that's what separates him here. And I, we, we don't know this about Trevor Milton and Nicola, but this is what bothers me the most. And I have seen this play out very poorly for many other uh, hyped up entrepreneurs. Yeah, I've been watching this play out over the past week somewhat incredulous, but I think the degree of incredulity would have been an order of magnitude higher had we not already had this precedent of Elon Musk. Like, you know, the fact that we've seen somebody else, it's a very, it's a very similar playbook. Um, and I think, you know, Trevor Milton has said that as well, both from the perspective of like the business model, the vertical integration, and also sort of like, how do you drive interest and hype around the business and use that to raise capital and use that capital to actually build the business that you're trying to build. Um, so 
you know, I think if we didn't have that precedent, it would feel even wilder than it already feels. But there are differences. I mean, one of which is that um, Nikola is not going to market alone. They are not the only ones pursuing either an electric or a fuel cell semi-truck. Just that, you know, there are announcements from Daimler, from Cummins, from Hyundai, Toyota, from VW, from Volvo, from Renault. That's all on the battery side, not to mention Tesla itself, which actually Elon Musk just yesterday, uh, uh, email an internal email happened to leak, big surprise, from Elon Musk basically talking about how they want to accelerate production on their own semi-truck, right? Not a coincidence given what's happening with Nikola and the public markets. In addition, there are others pursuing fuel cell electric trucks. Daimler also pursuing that, Hyundai, Toyota. It, you know, this is... Uh, this is a market that by the time 2023 hits, depending on which of these companies are successful or not, I mean, there's going to be, there'll be more options available than there were when most of the, the prospective customers for Nikola placed their quote unquote reservations. Who is this guy, Trevor Milton? Uh, he said in a recent interview that there's very few people who can out Elon Elon, and I'm one of them. He boasts about this. Uh, when they introduced their partnership recently with Anheuser-Busch, he came riding out on, you know, with the Clydes, the Budweiser Clydesdales. So uh, what is this guy's background? <laughs> I mean, I haven't dug as deeply into Trevor Milton as I have into the company and the business model. But suffice to say that he's appears to be a character. Um he claims he's started five companies. Two of them failed. I mean, the you know the stories around why they failed. First, first one was an e, it was an e-commerce company called U Pillar. Um, he he claimed that they they couldn't keep up with demand, so they failed. The second one was a, a company called D Hybrid, which was a diesel modification engine company. And that one, he, he claims an investor was stealing their IP. I don't know. I mean, both of those things could be totally true, but you know, a bunch of bunch of companies started before none of them particularly big successes. Uh, and yeah, he's just like extraordinarily outspoken. Uh, he would say direct, I'm sure, and transparent. Um, but, you know, clearly he's the consummate salesman. So where do we come down on this company? You've done a bunch of research now. You've thought through the business model. Um, is the attention deserved? Well, the <laughs> it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. The attention is deserved because... It is currently a 25 plus billion dollar company. Um, but setting that aside, I guess for me, uh, I, I want to separate out two things. One, what do I think of the company knowing what I know about what they're attempting to do and the business model that they're pursuing? And two, what do I think of what has happened in the past week with the um, IPO and the public market valuation? On the latter, the public market valuation, I can't pretend to understand it. I'm not issuing stock advice. I just don't, you know, you even if you look at their expectations of earnings in 2023 and try to apply a multiple of that, you, there's no way you get to anything reasonable today. So I cannot pretend to understand what is happening with this stock price. Uh, if you had told me it was a tenth of what it is today, I think I would have been like, yeah, all right, people are betting on, you know, this whole thing playing out, a couple billion dollar company. Um $25 billion company, I, I don't know what to say. On the business model, I'm interested. I mean, it, it you know, I, I hear what you're saying about all the hucksterism, and that seems real and is concerning. And it certainly could all fall apart, could become a whole house of cards. Um, but like I said before, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, 
heavy decarbonizing heavy duty transportation super important nobody has actually solved it yet there are strong arguments to be made why fuel cells might actually be one of if not the solution to that sector and if you are going to build a fuel cell truck company you i think you absolutely should vertically integrate and sell total cost of ownership leases i think you have to do that so you know i like that strategy that they're pursuing I don't love what appears to be a, str- a large series of distractions ranging from a hybrid pickup truck to an electric jet ski. Yeah, I will start taking the company seriously when we hear about manufacturing partnerships, when we actually hear real details on who the automaker is that is partnering on this interim electric truck, when we see real photographs of the semis instead of these mock-ups and we see real fueling stations developed instead of these like like fancy graphic design mock-ups. Um, but if anything, if it doesn't work out, then maybe we can split our money and you and I can buy a collector's edition electric jet ski. I mean, I'm those look pretty cool. The dune buggies look pretty cool too, I gotta say. <laughs> no, I mean, this is gonna be one to watch, right? Because like I said at the beginning, um, if this turns out to be a long-term success, it will be on the order of magnitude of Tesla. Uh, and if it doesn't, then it's going to be a you know pretty big collapse. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, thanks for walking us through the company, Shale. Yeah, I mean, I can't help myself. This is too <laughs> fascinating. We'll provide some links to some recent news stories about Nikola to give you a sense of what's happening. And if you have any insights or speculation Uh, or response to this show then hit us up on twitter we definitely want to hear from you and of course go over to your favorite podcast app like apple Podcasts or stitcher and give us a rating and review we're seeing a lot of you on spotify now so if you're uh, listening to music on spotify go listen to our podcast on spotify Uh, super easy to find us there we are a co-production of postscript audio and green tech media Ingrid Lobet is our senior editor. You heard Shail Khan. He is my co-host. I am Stephen Lacey. This is the Interchange Conversations on the Future of Energy. Thanks for being here.